Good morning, church. Good morning and welcome to Riverside. So glad all of you guys are here and you're in the house today. Welcome. I'm glad that we're able to gather today and to worship in this place. And yes, for all of you who are joining us for Church Online, thank you for joining us from wherever you are. Uh, It's a wonderful day to gather and today we are continuing this series that we're calling the Lord's Prayer, talking about, learning from this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray some 2,000 years ago. And I would love this morning to invite you to go ahead and stand where you are. And this morning we want to stand and we want to pray these words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So these words will be on the screen behind me if you would, church. Let's pray these words out loud together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. Well, this has been an incredible uh, month as we've walked through the words of this prayer and and taken time to think deeply about them. One of the things that's been especially meaningful is the opportunity that we've had to pray for one another. So I want to invite uh, some of our guys to come on down, and they have baskets they're going to pass around. In these baskets, you will see these prayer cards, uh, these prayer cards that you can take. And if you would, take one out. There's a slip in there. And it's real simple. There's a place for you to put your name. If you would, go ahead and write your name in that top blank. You can put your name there. Under that, there's a, a place, if you want to, you can put your phone number. Uh, that'll be just in case you want that person to text you, I'm sure. It's been really encouraging me to me over the past couple of weeks to both be able to send and to receive texts to say, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. I'm here for you. Whatever you need, let me know how I can pray for you. It's been really encouraging to both send and receive those texts over the past couple of weeks, but that's optional. You can put your number if you want to. And if you have a prayer request, there's a little space here to put something as well. Go ahead. If you're here for the first time, feel free to do this. If you're visiting, feel free to do this. Uh, If you've done this every week, I want you to do this too. We're going to do it again this week. It's been so encouraging this month to be able to pray for one another and lift one another up in prayer. I don't know about you, but I'm really, really grateful to belong to a church, to be a part of a church that loves each other, cares about each other, and wants to pray for one another. And and I'm so thankful we have this opportunity. Fill that out, and then in just a moment, uh, you can go ahead and put that back in the baskets as they come around. At the end of our time together, we're going to draw names out of the basket. And I would ask you, don't draw your own name, and don't draw the name of somebody that you've drawn before if you've done this over the past couple of weeks. Get someone new and, uh, and spend time this week praying for that person by name, lifting one another up in prayer. This morning during our 845 gathering, when we were done, I was, I was over here with my daughter and one of our elementary age girls comes over and she says, I got your name. And I was like, yay, are you going to pray for me? She's like, yes. And that was just awesome. And so this morning, make sure uh, you get one of these. And, and if you can, let the person know, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you this week. Uh, this morning, as we kind of step back into the study of the Lord's Prayer, I want to I ask you a question. Real simple question. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? When I was in middle school, I was a part of a church kind of like this. 
And uh, every year we did, you know, youth group retreats, fall retreats, right? Loved, loved going on these retreats. Great time, really formative for me. Got to grow closer to God, grow closer to the other people that were a part of my youth group and the adults who came. It was just an incredible, incredible time. Uh, these retreat centers, you know, I don't remember where this particular retreat was, but it was like every other retreat center I've ever been to. It was out in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, two hours away from civilization, which is all fine and good until there's an emergency. So it was Saturday, and on Saturday we had some free time. So me and a bunch of the guys said, hey, let's go find a field somewhere and let's play some football, right? We're excited to play some football. For whatever reason, uh, no adults came with us. And so we're over there by ourselves. And, of course, when that happens, something's going to go wrong, right? We said we're not going to play any of this two-hand touch stuff. We're going to play real man football, tackle football. Now, you got to remember, I was in middle school, so uh, tall skinny. I wasn't the uh, strong specimen you see before you today. I was a lot smaller back then. I don't know why some of you are laughing. But anyway, uh, I, maybe I weighed 100 pounds soaking wet. I wasn't a very big kid. Loved the game of football, but I wasn't going to be hard to tackle, right? Uh, team captains were chosen. Uh, on this side was one team captain. On the other side was the other team captain. You know how this works. They start picking names, and you know which team you're on, which side you're on, because of which side you're, you're standing on. I'm over here on this team. My friend Ben is on the other side. Ben's in high school. Ben, Ben's a, a big boy. I mean, he's 200, 250. He was, he's a load, right? I mean, he's, he's also like the most lovable guy in the youth group, just like big teddy bear of a guy, incredible, incredible person, love Ben to death. But he's on this team and I'm on this team. Our team has the ball. I'm playing wide receiver. Our quarterback drops back to throw a pass and I go out. He doesn't throw it to me. He throws it to one of our other receivers, but it doesn't matter because Big Ben steps in front of the ball and intercepts it, right? What you may not know about me, because I'm uh, uh, it's kind of secretive about this, but it's, I'll confess it with you this morning. Secretly, I'm, I'm highly competitive. I do not like to lose. And when my friend Ben caught the football, I made up my mind he was not going to score, right? Uh, so... Again, I'm 90 pounds. Ben's probably 300. He's barreling down the football field. I'm coming this way. He's coming that way. You ever seen a fly here, windshield? That's kind of what this was like. Like, I mean, I hit him. The good news was I knocked him down. He went that way. I went this way. I couldn't believe it. Nobody could believe it. But I had knocked him down. His, his, his mouth was full of blood. He thought he had busted his lip. He didn't. His teeth went through my ear into the back of my head. If you've ever wondered about this scar right here on the side of my head, this ear, that's what happened. We're two hours away from the nearest hospital. Took a doctor over 20, maybe 30 stitches to reattach my ear back to my head. Thankfully, he was able to. Otherwise, I would look very strange. Um, from then on, whenever we played football, I made sure I was on Ben's team. <laughs> Whose side are you on? Like, this is a question that we really have to ask and answer every day. Whose side are we on as a church? I'm often inspired by the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., especially the words he wrote, the letter from a Birmingham jail. Literally sitting in a jail, he writes this letter to these other pastors, these white influential pastors in the city of Birmingham, encouraging them, imploring them to do the right thing, to use their influence in their church, in their community, to help the cause, right? Asking them to think deeply about which side they were going to be on. History would prove they probably should have made a different choice. But I want you to hear some of what he wrote in this letter. 
Dr. Martin Luther King wrote, there was a time, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In, in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed immediately and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contest. Things are different now. So often the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. Dr. King wanted these Christian men, these leaders in their churches and communities to reconsider whose side are you on? And that's a question that we have to ask and answer every day. Whose side are we on? I think that's why the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray some 2,000 years ago, is so important. The Lord's Prayer, it's, it's subversive in a lot of ways. In a, in a world that celebrates self-reliance and independence, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us today our daily bread. In, in other words, I want you to rely on God, depend on God for absolutely everything that you need. In a world where kings and rulers and people rise up to power and rage war and have their way and try to, try to control things and make everything go a certain way, Jesus taught his disciples, I want you to pray. May things be on earth as they are in heaven. Jesus taught his disciples to pray this prayer that in so many ways asked them to choose which side they were going to be on. And these early Christians, they understood something that sometimes it's hard for us to see. They understood that the team captains have already been chosen. But they're not picking teams. We get to decide. We get to decide which team we're going to be on. So in Matthew 6, we have this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I would encourage you to open up to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we find uh, this prayer that Jesus gave us. Um, in my grandfather's Bible, this is my grandfather's Bible. One of my grandfathers uh, gave me this Bible. Actually, my grandmother gave it to me when he passed away. But I want to, I want to share with you what, how the prayer reads. This is the the King James Version of the Bible. At the very end of this prayer in verse 13, in the King James Version of the Bible, the prayer ends with these words, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, if you have a more recent translation, 
which you may discover, and maybe this is the first time you've ever realized this, those words aren't in your Bible. And you may wonder why. Why is it in this version but not in another version? And and the reason is, in 1947, something happened that changed everything in some ways, right? Every, Every Bible printed before 1947 contained these words, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. But in 1947, something happened. There was a discovery made. Uh, there was two, two young men, b- teenage boys actually, who uh, were, were goat herders, you know, herding their goat and the sheep through the desert in Israel. They were walking along the Dead Sea, and there's some caves over there. And one of the boys, like any teenage boy would do, was throwing rocks, right? And he throws a rock into one of these caves, and all of a sudden, he hears something crash. And he thinks, what, what in the world was that? He runs into the cave and discovers what happens is that rock had hit this ancient jar. And inside all of these jars were these ancient manuscripts. And many of these manuscripts are the scriptures that you and I have today. And the reason this discovery was so incredibly important was that the manuscripts that they discovered in those caves in the Dead Sea Scrolls predated anything that we had up to that point. What's really interesting is that there are some differences between these earlier manuscripts and the manuscripts that we had that we got versions like the King James Version of the Bible from, but none of the differences that were found changed anything that we believe or the meaning of anything in the text. But in those manuscripts was a copy of the Gospel of Matthew. And again, it predated anything we had up to this point. And one of the things that they discovered is that at the end of this prayer, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, These words, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, they weren't there. Those words were added later on, probably near the end of the first century. And I don't know about you, but I think that's really interesting. Why why would Christians near the end of the first century add this little doxology to this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Well, I think it's, it helps to remember, right, that, that at this point in history, they're living in a world that is largely controlled by the Roman Empire. Emperors that rise into power, they are seen as and worshiped as gods and sons of God. They are seen as divine. They're living in a, in a, in a, in a day when, when everyone is entertained by these gladiatorial games. Gladiators are, are those who, who are sort of celebrities of the day and age. And, and only the strong survive, right? Everyone is looking for, for the empire to be the kingdom, for these emperors and gladiators and everybody in between to have all the glory and, and all the power. And these Christians are living in this culture, in this society, in this world dominated by this Roman empire. And then you've got these emperors, people like Nero and Domitian, who seemingly hate Christians. They kill them every chance they have. They burn them at the stake. One of the the early Jewish historians, a a man by the name of Josephus, he wrote that he was surprised that Christianity even survived the first century because the function of the empire at that point was to try to put an end to Christians and Christianity. Literally, they were trying to kill every believer, every follower of Jesus they could find. But somehow... These small groups of Christians kept forming and growing and spreading and making 
disciples, even though they were up under such incredible persecution. They went from Judea to Samaria, and then into Greece, places like Turkey and India, then into Ethiopia, and it just kept spreading like wildfire. How? How did that happen? Well, these early Christians, they knew something that sometimes I think we forget, right? They knew that they were living as citizens of a different kind of kingdom. And they were serving a different kind of king. These rulers, these emperors, these kings of kingdoms in their day and time, they, they, they dominated the world as they knew it. But these early Christians, they understood that they were living as, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So they add this little doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer, and it's their declaration of allegiance to a different king in a different kingdom, whose power has no end, whose glory outshines the sun. This little doxology at the end, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. This is their declaration of their allegiance to Jesus as the king of a different kind of kingdom. They knew, they understood that to live, for, to live their lives for any earthly kingdom, to live their lives building up their own kingdoms, that was way too small a thing to live for. They wanted to leverage their lives for a kingdom that would never come to an end. So 32 times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. 32 times in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God. And, and, and what you find out and what these disciples learned as Jesus taught them was that this kingdom, it was unlike any other kind of kingdom. In the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, things are the way they're supposed to be. They're the way they were always supposed to be. In the, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, people forgive and they are forgiven. In the kingdom of God, people, uh, the, the lame walk, the blind see, the dead are raised to life. In the kingdom of heaven, it, it, well, it's like a pearl of great price. It's like a, a grand banquet table where everyone is welcome and everyone is known and everyone is loved. This is a different kind of kingdom and it has a different kind of king who has a different kind of power. The kings and rulers and emperors of the day, they had a certain kind of power. They could command their humble servants to do their bidding. They could call military leaders and send them into war. These rulers, these kings, these emperors, these people in power, they had, they had the ability to decide who lives and who dies. And everybody wanted to have that kind of power. Everybody wanted to rise to power. Everybody wanted to figure out how to get to the top because if I can get to the top, then I can make the decisions. I can raise your taxes. I can take your land. I can have whatever I want when I'm at the top. People would do anything for that kind of power. People today would do anything for that kind of power. People live for that kind of power. Some people will kill for that kind of power. Even the world we live in today, everybody's trying to figure out how to get more power. How can I leverage more power to make things, control things, to have things the way that I want them for my own personal gain and satisfaction? But these, these early Christians were something different about them. They, they were tapping into a different kind of power. Jesus 
had promised them before he left planet earth that, that they were going to receive power. Holy Spirit power. And this was a different kind of power. Uh, this gave them the power to do things. Well, you know what it did? How, how else can you explain the survival of Christianity for some 2,000 years? Through all the persecutions that Christians have been through, through all the, the martyrdoms they've been through, through, through all the times that the world has seen epidemics and pandemics, yet Christians have put themselves in harm's way to serve others, to serve those in need. How, how else can you explain except that there's some other power at work. And it's not a power to oppress. It's not a power to control. It's not a power to impose will. It's not a power that gets its way through violence. It's a power that, that willingly lays down its life for the, for the sake of others. It sacrifices itself for others. And somehow in that sacrificial lifestyle, in that dying, Christianity has lived and survived and flourished and thrived for some 2,000 years. Why? Because these Christians tapped into a different kind of power, Holy Spirit power, power that empowered their life. Power that gave them life. The religious leaders in the day of Jesus, they wanted power. All they wanted is power. But they didn't have the power to put Jesus to death. They had to go to Pilate, a Roman governor, to be able to, to, to have their way and to get Jesus crucified. And Pilate thought he had the power to decide who lives and who dies. And he condemned Jesus to death by crucifixion. But we know how that story ends. Pilate didn't have the power to decide who lives and who dies because Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus is the only one with power. Not me, not you, not any political leader, not any king of any kingdom, not any CEO of any company, nobody. Jesus is the only one that has this kind of power. And because of that, he deserves all the glory. And you may wonder, what does that mean? Well, what does it mean to give God glory? What does it mean to have glory? What does it mean to want glory? The word glory literally means uh, weight or splendor or majesty. And the truth is we live in a world where people are obsessed with glory. We just don't call it that. Some people, their day is made when they get 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 likes on social media, right? You get that and all of a sudden you think, oh, I'm important. People see me. People value me. And when, when people have a, a certain platform or, or, or they, 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 they're liked by this many people or followed by this many people, you might even say that they are important or they have a following, you might even say when they walk into the room that they, they carry a certain kind of weight. And they want you to think of them as important. The truth is we all want people to think of us as important. You'll even hear people say things that prop themselves up as important and they call it a humble brag. You ever hear that? There it is again. I want you to know how important I am. And you want me to know how important you are. That's that desire. That's that desire that, that we all have inside of us to make much of our own name, to have fame, to go viral, to make much of ourselves. And, and you kind of can, can start to get your arms around this idea when you start to think about this. If you, if you care more about what people think about you than you do what God thinks about you, that's how you know you're more concerned with your glory than God's glory. We live in a world that's consumed 
with wanting to make much of her own name, that wants to be famous. We want people to know how, how important we are, but these early Christians, they knew something. They knew they had to make a decision. Whose kingdom, whose kingdom were they going to build up? Whose power were they going to live from? And whose glory were they going to live for? And they remembered. They remembered the words that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he was betrayed. He prayed, not my will, but yours be done. So when they finished this prayer that Jesus taught them to pray, they probably prayed it three times a day, once in the morning, once at noon, and once in the evening. And every time they prayed it, they ended it with those words, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. There they are again declaring their allegiance to a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom. And then they would say, amen. Literally, so be it. Yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. It all belongs to you. We are declaring our allegiance to you, not to the kings and kingdoms of this world, not to the power mongers of this world, not to anyone else's glory, not the glory of any emperor, any king, any ruler, and certainly not our own name, our own fame, our own renown. You, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the power. Amen. If I'm being really honest, it's easy for me to forget. If I'm being really honest with you, it's, it's really easy for me. It's really easy for me to, to spend my time building up my own kingdom. It's really easy for me to, to try to have power, gain more power, leverage power to control things and situations. It's really easy for me to want to make, make a name for myself. And it would mean a lot to me if you would pray for me. And my guess is it would mean a lot to you if I prayed for you. So I want to invite some of our friends to come back into the room with these baskets and to pass them around. And I want to ask you to draw a name out of this basket. Again, don't draw your own name and try to draw a different name than you've drawn so far if you've been here the last couple of weeks. And there may or may not be a prayer request on that card. If there is, pray for that request. But but I'll, I want all of us to pray this for whoever it is we're praying for. Pray that, that they will live their lives for the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Pray that they will live their lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. And pray that they will live their lives for the name, the fame, and the renown of Jesus, no other name, only Jesus. Let's pray for each other and ask God to help us because it's easy to forget. You ask the question, whose side are you on? And the truth is so often I'm trying to build up my kingdom. We all do this. We're all kingdom builders, right? 
And it's easy because we live in a world, we live in a culture, we live in a, a place where, where we're encouraged to buy bigger houses, bigger cars, grow bigger companies, make more money, all of these things. And I'm not saying any of those things are inherently bad, but you get it, right? We're all kingdom builders. We have to decide whose kingdom are we going to be about building? You ask me, whose side are you on? And it's really easy to say, I'm, I'm on this side, but the reality is, is I like power. I like control. I like being able to, to influence things in a certain way, to make things the way that I want them to be. And if I'm getting real honest, for those of you who are parents in the room, I want to manipulate things and politic things and, and orchestrate things where my kids get what they want. Sometimes, can I be honest? Sometimes at the expense of others. You ask me, whose side are you on? And I want to say I'm over here, but the truth is, the truth is I want you to like me. I want you to think I am important. I want my name to mean something. And I don't really care about fame or fortune or those things, but if I'm just being genuine and transparent and authentic with you, there's a part of me that does, right? Who, whose side do you want? I want to be over here, but there's so many times I'm over here. And I need you to pray for me and I want to pray for you and I want us to pray for one another that we could live for the kingdom, the power, and the glory that will never, ever end. Fast forward to the end of your story. There's going to come a day when people are going to gather in a room, maybe even in this room, and they're going to celebrate your life. And if you've lived your life building your kingdom, trying to extract all the power you can to leverage things the way you want them to be, trying to make a name for yourself and be important in this world, by this world's standards. All of your accomplishments, they might get an honorable mention, but when the service is over, the curtain's gonna fall. And what you're gonna realize on that day is that living to build up your own kingdom, striving to get more power, living for your own name, your own fame, your own renown, that was way too small a thing to live for. I want to encourage you to choose wisely. Choose wisely whose kingdom, whose power, and whose glory you will live your life for. Because if you decide to live your life for the King of Kings, whose kingdom will never end, whose story never ends, if you decide you're to live your life empowered by the Holy Spirit. A power, it's like a well that never runs dry. A promise that God is not only with you and for you, but he is living inside of you. If you decide to live your life for his glory, for his name, for his fame, for his renown, then you're living your life for a kingdom for a king whose reign has no end. Choose wisely. Choose wisely. It's like we're back on that football field at that middle school retreat. And it's time to choose sides. And you gotta decide, whose team are you on? Whose team are you on? And I don't know about you, 
But I want to stand with those early Christians who decided that they wanted to live for the king of a different kind of kingdom. The only one who had the power to defeat the grave. The only one whose name, whose fame, whose renown, whose glory will outshine the sun. I hope we stand with him. If you would, church, let's stand together. I've got a scar on the side of my head that reminds me of the day that I chose the wrong team. What hangs in the balance of this decision for you and for me today, it's far greater than a two-hour trip to a hospital in 20 stitches. This is so important. And I want to encourage you this week as you pray for the person you're praying for to pray the Lord's Prayer. And as you end the Lord's Prayer, pray these words that these Christians at the end of the first century added in. I'm so thankful they did. And let it be your declaration of your allegiance to your king. Pray yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and yours is the glory forever and ever, world without end. Amen. And may we live our lives for his name his renown. Let's sing.